0: This is the Travel Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Propelic, bringing you the news and insights and what's working and not working in today's competitive transportation and tourism landscape. From emerging brands to the most established professionals, these lessons of intelligent marketing will help your marketing plan travel further. Here's one I'm super excited for because I think for one of the first times, if not the first time on the Travel Marketing Compass podcast, we're, we're switching to the B2B side of travel marketing. And I get to do this with Roman Townsend today, who is probably the go-to on anything PR B2B. He's built a reputation for excellence and innovation and helping businesses navigate the complex landscape of travel and tourism marketing on the B2B side, whether it's getting listed on Focusrite or getting introduced to and getting in front of some of the biggest players in airlines and hotels or whatever it may be. They're based in Spain. They're a great team. It's a dynamic PR agency. He's got a lot of experience, and I'm really excited to talk to him today and walk you through all of that with him. So with no further ado, here's Roman. Hey, Roman. Thanks so much for joining me today, all the way from not Spain, but San Francisco this time. That's right. (laughs) How are you? Very well, very well. It's cold here in San Francisco in the Bay Area. Yeah, I'm here in Austin. It's about 104 degrees Fahrenheit outside, which I think is about, what, 32, something like that. Yeah.
1: I've seen the crazy heat waves. I'm about to leave Bay Area this afternoon to get to Sausalito. And the temperature jumps like 20 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh huh. Yeah. The second you go across the bridge. But I've been going out at night here and uh, taking a jumper and a jacket and wearing
0: socks. And there, there's the jumper. We're not allowed to use words like that in the United States, sir. I'm kidding. But in any case, I'm super excited to dive what you, in.
1: What do you guys call that? A sweater?
0: Sweater. <laughs>
1: yeah, but sweaters when it's like, made of, like a cotton fabric. I'm, it's a jumper. It's made of wool.
0: Okay, that's fair. I'll let you have it. I'll let you have it. But let's dive in. I'm excited to talk B2B PR, how it overlaps with SEO. get your ideas about what's working, what's not working in the space. I guess you do PR just for travel and tourism, primarily for B2B where the average deal size is large and one new client makes a big difference. Is that right? That's
1: right. We did that even travel tech. so there are people with B2B, other types of services, so like a ground handler or an airport or DMC, you know those are all B2B businesses as well but we just focus on the travel tech uh, space. And within that, it's always B2B. Some of the clients we have are B2C, but we do the B2B bit of their PR.
0: That's fun. We actually have our first ground support equipment client that signed on with us a couple of weeks ago. And as a aviation enthusiast and pilot myself, it's super fun, but super nerdy stuff for me. I love it.
1: <laughs> I worked in an airline. I absolutely love that side of the business as well. But yeah, but what we're focused on is just the tech side of that.
0: Okay, so the that's what I'm su- on the new smart. client. Ah, thank you. In any case, so you've got PR specifically for travel technology. How is that different from PR for everybody?
1: Okay, so well, first of all, you know, so it's the vertical, so just travel tech company. So, you know, we distinguished, you know, their your ground handlers wouldn't be that unless it, there was a tech element to that. So first of all, it's just that. Second of all, it's almost always B2B. So there are, you know, you could call Expedia or someone like that a travel technology company, and they are, but we're not doing that side of things. We're always B2B. The discipline, I think, is different in as much as often there are more varied audiences, multiple audiences. So obviously B2C companies, you know, still got to consider their investors and their employees and things like that. But B2B companies or travel tech ones, you've got a lot of partners out there that they work with who help them run their tech. And, you know, they have integrations and so on. So there's a lot of third-party partners that they're working with who aren't necessarily paying them money. But nonetheless, it's very important for them to be part of that ecosystem. You've then obviously got the kind of the sales side of things and so the business development. You've also got the supplier side of things, which isn't necessarily the same as the tech suppliers. You've got suppliers of the actual travel services that plug into their, their platforms. And in addition, you've got investors, analysts, employees, lobby groups. So a wider variety of stakeholders I think would be the main thing I would highlight. And all very niche. You know, everyone concerned about you know, each everyone concerned about very detailed aspects, you know, what they're going to be doing rather than b2c
0: stuff which is a little bit more emotional okay i got you so that's what was going to be my next question i want to know with all those stakeholders and with everybody involved what unique challenges does that create for a pr strategy or if you have any examples maybe that could be helpful too
1: well I, you know, yeah I, suppose I don't want to repeat myself too much on what i just said hopefully that that sort of makes sense but you know varied audiences with different interests some of them more technical some of them more commercial some of them regulatory and occasionally obviously there's you know, there's the, the emotional aspect of it as well. I think the main thing that I would highlight would be the need for a really in-depth and technical understanding of the subject matter to, be able to get into it. It's not to discredit what people are doing in the B2C side of things because it, you know, it's a different kind of skill set, but the understanding that they need of products and services that say they're doing travel is more related to the, the user experience, you know. So talking about a hotel, if you're trying to The PR for a hotel, you probably should have gone and stayed there. You should have a feel for what they're offering and so on. But beyond that, your expertise is because you've got the relationships with the New York Times lifestyle editor or you can get them on CNN or whatever. You don't really need, you can get up to speed on, you know, you can send anyone to a hotel and get them out there doing PR pretty quickly. In our case, we're always looking for, in our team and for our business, people got a real detailed knowledge of what the different products and services involve and how they are linked to
0: the whole sort of ecosystem and technology that, that operates. It's interesting because, I mean, one of the things that I contextualize for the people that I know that are outside of travel is that when you wait for that ticket purchase to load, when you make a ticket purchase, there's about six technology companies at the very least involved in that transaction going through from clicking purchase now to actually having a ticket issued. Very good point.
1: And then and then even from there, you know, their end it's got to go back. They've got to adjust their inventory. Then they're going to try and send you an email cross-selling you other stuff. Then you've got the payments companies. And then they've got to do the billing and settlements. Maybe there's you know they're sharing that money, commissions. Uh, so on. then when you arrive at the airport, there's the check-in software. There's the loyalty points side of it. What if you need a refund? What if you want to change? What upgrade? Okay. All of these have got you know tech solutions, or at least trying to have tech solutions. There's still a lot of legacy stuff out there where occasionally it might be manual, not automated, but
0: very very complex ecosystem that the consumer just has no idea about. You know, you can go on Expedia, you pick the thing you want, click. Uh, yeah, it's funny. Whenever I have a conversation with somebody and say, or they ask me about the travel industry, they say, I want to work in the travel industry. I've been a traveler all my life. I think I could understand it quite well. And that's so far from the case. It's such a funny statement. When I got into travel, I made that exact statement, but it took many, many moons of me learning about the business and how it operates to actually get it and be able to have a meaningful conversation. So just to bring things down to earth a little bit and, and showcase a little bit about what the impact is of PR in a travel tech universe. What's an example of a, a campaign or, or an outcome that you were able to drive or that you were targeting driving as a result of involving a messaging strategy or a PR strategy?
1: Well, it varies. You know, sometimes we have a trying to raise finance or be acquired. And for them, often the the advice is there are a couple of conferences that you want to go to, Skift and right being probably the top ones. But then also depending on you know, your region and your vertical, there you know, are other events, and we're you know we're advising go there, sponsor, get you know get yourself some profiling there, and, and reach out and meet with the you know the bankers and venture capitalists and private equity firms who are attending, and we can help to facilitate that. Other clients are looking for just a sort of you know, visibility boost to help them with their commercial strategy, so signing new clients or some of the tech ecosystem stuff that I described that can be very important for the success of their businesses. And for them, we have you know, a variety of different ways of doing that, conference speaking, lobby group involvement, the media outreach, that kind of thing. Just to give you an example of something we've done just in the last 24 hours, we like to jump on news trends and find ways to speak about the, you know, the tech aspect of what's going on there. So you and I spoke a second ago about the heat wave sweeping the United States and other parts of the world, we had several clients yesterday come, brought several clients together to give commentary on what does a heat wave and you know, climate change mean for travelling patterns and how likely are we to see, we continue to see this, are we likely to see people wanting to take their holidays in different parts of the world where it's cooler or at different times of year and what does that mean for travel sellers and travel providers from the tech perspective so one client was commenting on how yeah, maybe when you start looking for holidays going forwards assuming we're talking leisure travel the one of the filters you could have would be average temperature for that time of year or predicted temperature another client was an insurance company and they were talking about how uh, perhaps we'll see insurance policies come in that will be able to help people to get refunds or make changes to their plans if temperatures go above a certain temperature or if there's pre-weather
0: conditions that you know, cause disruption to their holiday plans that sounds to me likely hopper product (laughs) (laughs) well yeah pay six dollars to ensure your trip from heat or too cold temperatures well
1: there's a company based here in san francisco uh, right now this week uh, called sensible weather and they provide a weather cancellation policy don't know if they do it if it goes over a certain temperature certainly if it rains or the temperature falls and you're expecting a nice warm holiday uh, they'll protect you against
0: that how expensive is that insurance?
1: That's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. I think it's reasonably affordable in the context of, of the, 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 the holiday, but but it also reflects the likelihood of something happening. They do it within the context of average temperature, so you can't insure your holiday in Alaska in December against it snowing or something because you know, it's presumably it's always snowing in Alaska in December. But yeah. Yeah, maybe get them on, interview them. I'm, I'm catching up with them
0: We'll have to add that to to the list. We've got So, Listening in on this, we're going to get that scheduled, right, (laughs) Sola? Yeah.
1: So we do that kind of thing. We try and, you know, News Jack stories that are mainstream, that, you know, that would catch the eye of the consumer, but talk about it from the perspective of of travel technology.
0: And with respect to travel technology, there are a lot of players. There's unique businesses, but there's a lot of players, right? What have you found as a very difficult type of travel technology company to differentiate? Like, What's a very saturated area of travel technology right now? Your observation
1: is correct. There are a lot of travel technology companies, a great more than people would think. And I almost, despite being in the circle 13 years, regularly find new niches that I wasn't aware of. And there's some that have grown significantly in recent years. So you look at the two obvious examples, that would be vacation rental technology. There are big conferences now dedicated to that space. There's one called BRMA happens in Las Vegas, I think, each year. And so you've seen a massive growth in that area. And I think for the companies in that space trying to differentiate yourself, you're becoming harder and harder. So whereas five years ago, saying you're a channel manager for you know vacation rental properties, you'd have been one of a few. Now there's uh, now many. The other space that has you know really sprung up in the last really three, two, three years is Fintech providers of services in the travel tech space. You mentioned Hopper. Obviously, they're a big one, but they are also an OTA or an you know, intermediate of sorts. Um, but there's lots of companies out there just providing insurance services. Uh, we work with a company called Battleface, they're a travel insurer. And they're in the Fintech space, they're very modern, uh, looking to unbundle the travel insurance experience for, for users. You've got uh, payments companies looking after the B2C part and the B2B part. And, you know, within those, there are niches. There are ones that just do aviation. There are ones that do hotels. However, we work with a company in that space called Neum. Actually, they're one of the leaders. So there's, you know, there's areas that are evolving. And a few years ago, I wouldn't have said that they were, you know, as competitive as they are now. In the aviation space, I think I have to watch my words very carefully here, but for the GDSs, there's not as much competition. There are essentially only three GDSs in the world. I'd say Saber, our desk and each of you have quite a considerable percentage of the market. If you were to take all three of those, I don't know what it would leave, but there would only be ten percent or so left for the all the other players on the front.
0: There'd be the two percent of companies using NDC right now. That's basically yes. what you get. <laughs> there would be the the
1: media but even those names up named,
0: they've all got NDC solution. But
1: but yeah there would be the NDC part and then you also have Russia has its own local GDS whose uh, name are temporary I forget the name of the country in a second China has one called Something Sky and you know, then you have some other niche players so you know and it depends how you measure it as well I mean there, for instance private jet travel is not intermediated in the same way so that's not included in it but nonetheless there's a lot of money there so there are some but then there are some other areas that are highly competitive if you're looking at property systems for hotels you know there's uh, property management systems, PMSs for hotels There's the spread competitive area Channel managers, you know, web solutions, web booking engine solutions, as well. You know, there are a lot of people in that space. So it's niche. It's not sort of a license to print money and you know, virgin territory. Some people might think some of these businesses mm-hmm. have existed for it came back to 1970s, 80s.
0: I think just looking at at the time and knowing that I've got you on the other side of this call of this recording, and you've got tactical experience, and I, I really do think that there's a lot to share. What do you think about diving into some tactics now? Yeah, taxis are good. All right. I'm gonna break it. I'm just gonna do the self-serving one since Propelic does SEO for travel and tourism. Where does SEO fit in? How does it play with PR for travel and tourism?
1: Well, in my space, you know, we you don't need the same sort of volumes of traffic or leads that you would need if you are a VPC company. And then even within that, you know, you've got generally speaking, the you know, the minimum sort of standard is quite high. You know if you were selling I don't know PSS systems a passenger service system you're talking about contracts that work tens of millions of dollars a year some other smaller players if you're a channel manager or a hotel distribution uh, company then you know you might be looking at contracts that are much smaller so the needs vary but SEO can play a big part of that having you know truly digital automated marketing campaign brings lead generation brings them into the funnel takes them through the you know filters and takes them through all the first Couple of steps to get you a qualified lead is very important. So when we're looking at the kind of content we produce for for clients, first of all, you know, we're trying to get them in the news or get them speaking on stage at conferences. But second of all, we're trying to fit those topics around things that match their marketing campaigns and SEO. You know, they're, they're big part of that. So we don't just get people speaking about random topics. We always, we have to drill it back to things that they do and ways in which they're trying to differentiate themselves. So in some of those hyper-competitive markets that, that I mentioned, people differentiate themselves by going for if you're a PMS, you know, you go for certain types of properties in a certain region, you know, and just they're not just there knocking on the door of Marriott trying to get you know, the big chain. Some of them, in fact, go the other way. They're, they're looking for bed and breakfast, they're looking for vacation rentals, they're looking for single property owners. You know, even that would be competitive. You probably want to focus it down to a specific country, you know, and SEO can really help you with that. You guys can help
0: drill down the Keywords, specific markets, specific segments, specific geography. So, so the verdict is complementary. Definitely. All right. I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah, so, yeah.
1: No, no, no. We can't We can't be existing, you know, separate. We both being our own thing, you know,
0: it's not optimum. One of the problems that we both run into is attribution, right? SEO is typically one of many touch points, especially in a B2B sale. And PR is likely the same, one of many touch points in a B2B sale. How do you attribute and measure the success of a PR campaign?
1: I think you probably have more data that you'll be able to back up. So you'll be able to show you know, clicks and uh, they've got a you know, fully automated maltech stack. They should know where the leads came from. For PR, it's almost entirely unmeasurable. Even if someone calls up and says, you know, I read an article in Tribolution or, or whatever, and as such, I would like to talk to you, whether or not that information gets you know, recorded and read and, you know, passed back to us and the rest of it. I can't think of ever having had that kind of feedback, to be honest, even though it must be going on because people were using our services all the time. We sort of take a different approach of not offering any kind of metrics like that. We make clear that advertising value equivalent is almost meaningless and we can't provide a direct link between you having been on stage at an event or being quoted in the media or whatever. And your lead, let alone your know, profitability of your business. Instead, we focus around all the deliverables you're looking for. What is good? Would you consider it good if we were getting quoted regularly in these publications in these regions, talking around these topics? And if so, you know what kind of frequency are we talking about, and so on? And that's what we promise to deliver on. At the other end, the client needs to make their mind up as to whether or not they see that as value. If you were to think of. Um, other types of professional services here. You know, when you employ an architect to make your house, you don't ask for a return on investment. You, know, you ask the architect to build you a house that fits certain requirements. You'd be unhappy if it fell down. You'd be happy if you asked for a four-bedroom house and you got a two-bedroom house and all the rest of it. So they've got to deliver on things. But if after they built it, you built it, the house and they say, well, what's the return on investment? You know, the architect would just be completely confused. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's sort of, you know, the way we look at it. You know, you've got to decide if that's the value.
0: It's not. So it's really a matter of getting buy-in on the outcomes. Well, I guess the particular actions of this is what's going to be the result, setting that as the destination and not necessarily the business context, but agreeing beforehand that if you do that thing, that thing is very likely to result in impact on the business. Is that fair? Essentially, yeah. You
1: know, we that's um that that's what we promise. And you know, people have to think in advance as to whether or not that is what they want. We're making the assumption they do that just by talking to us. But certainly, as the conversation goes on, before we, you know, come to the agreement, to sign a contract, to start work, that's what we make very clear. When people ask us for other kinds of metrics, we just go back to the original conversation and say, you know, there's not much we can give you beyond how we delivered against what was expected. And I'd yeah, you know, I'd be amazed to point out that most of the time we're
0: over delivering. All right. So, Roman, next question for you because you're being interrogated right now, as you agreed to. <laughs> Go for it. They hold back. Where is the future of PR and travel and tourism? Where is the future specifically in B2B? What's changing? What do you see as something that a business should be doing with respect to their PR strategy to stay ahead of the curve? Well, I think
1: when I first started PR, which was over 20 years ago, you know, we were a discipline separate from other things that were going on. So we often weren't as aligned with, marketing and digital marketing didn't exist then and so there is much more you know, shared objectives collaboration and so on so i think the two are you know i wouldn't say necessarily merging but aligning much more than ever before i think the other big shift that i've seen is pr years ago it just used to be about getting you in the media and it was text-based it was always sending out press releases and you know pitching in story ideas Nowadays, you've got to think sort of multi-channel content and you've got to think visual content. So, you know, at the very least when we're sending out press releases or written text, we're accompanying that with images. But also often we're producing uh, videos on behalf of clients that they are being used. Always got to think about, you know, what we're going to do with the, what the social media plan here. Are we going to adapt the content and turn that into a blog? You know, so you've got to, in that respect, it's become, more like marketing, I suppose. More like being a sort of journalist in the modern world where, you know, you need to have more than just some words on a page.
0: It's just a matter of collaborating with other channels and creating something meaningful, I take it, right?
1: Yeah. But it requires technical skills that you but know, people previously didn't have. And I certainly noticed amongst older PR people, you know, they're often like, Oh, I don't want to do the social media, but someone else can do that or, you know, making a video or why yeah, you know, why are we gonna do that? Uh, whereas the, the younger people coming in, people up to I'd say, at the age of 30, they just sort of see that as, like, totally normal. They think they're maybe social first. And certainly when it comes to making video content, um, they're much more up for doing that and have the skills. Whether that's because they learned them studying at university, I don't know. Or whether just because every young person now, you know, certainly anyone, you know, TikToker generation, they all know to make pretty cool videos, don't they? So, you know, those, I think, and those are valuable skills to have. And I, you know, really welcome that. And our business, we're always trying to push that a little bit, but obviously the B2B stuff doesn't lend itself as much to that as I would like. I think it can, but I think often clients may be a little bit resistant to that because they see that as like, oh, but that's that's
0: just the kids sort of thing, you know?
1: And actually, if people underestimate LinkedIn, can that, that, anyone who underestimates LinkedIn, that's really a, bit, a,
0: a big mistake. I was just about to say it. I remember seeing you speak at Focusrite in Barcelona about LinkedIn and how impactful that is. I know the number of times I've posted a case study or mentioned something on LinkedIn. I did it this morning and somebody just reaches out and says, hey, are you open to talking about this project that I'm doing? I think the size and scope of the brands that have reached out through something like that that wouldn't have otherwise reached out is astounding to me. I guess it's a matter of involving all of those things. You talked a lot about how the landscape's changing with respect to how PR fits into the marketing mix. What would you say is changing in the travel industry?
1: Well, again, you know, I see this at sort of the, the B2B, you know, travel tech side of things. I think the B2C side of the industry was pretty quick to adapt to social media trends. And I don't think there'll be a single hotel chain or an airline out there that wouldn't have a TikTok account and, you know, that kind of stuff. I think the B two B side of things is just slow to adapt to that to see the relevance. I wouldn't think TikTok would be relevant to a lot of our clients. Instagram is a lot more relevant than people think, though. Know? And if you think anyone under the age of say fifty has probably got an Instagram account now, and there's a strong chance they have one, and they're all using that frequently, and a
0: Threads account now as a result.
1: Well, I, yeah, so <laughs> the end of Threads account now as a result of that, and people are you know maybe not as much as LinkedIn, people are using these things. And on the paid side, you can pay to get in front of them. And on the editorial side of things, you know, there's ways to get in front of them. So there are some quite good, there's a few examples of companies that have got quite good social media channels that go beyond LinkedIn, but not that many. And I'd love to see more doing that, embracing that.
0: I think that's a not doing mistake would be like not using LinkedIn. Then a mistake of doing something would maybe be for B2B, focusing on TikTok or a B2C channel. What are some other mistakes that you've seen, particularly in your space with B two B PR?
1: Often, yeah, people I think are a little bit too cautious. They only want to speak about topics where they're an expert in, which are often too rarefied. To I think you mentioned NDC earlier. But obviously, there's plenty of opportunity to talk about NDC within our industry, but compared to this full spectrum of opportunities available, people should embrace that a little bit more. So that the climate change example, the heatwave example, will be great. Uh, For me, you know, we've got people. None of our clients are providing, you know, heatwave services. They're just talking about what the impact is going to be on the the wider industry, and I'm sure there'll be an NDC angle there that someone uh, could could think about. You could about cancellations and you know what cancellations mean for ancillaries. It can be quite complicated, and NDC can help you to resolve those kind of those kind of challenges. So there's your angle. So I think the mistake is often being very limited on the topics you want to talk about or occasionally just wanting to focus on your product i mean you know version 22.6 of some service that there's lots of other companies out there providing saturated space and i think that often trying to tie everything into a sales push for that one product is very limiting from a PR perspective you don't get that much out of it even if we fight hard to get one or two publications to write about it as a favor
0: doesn't mean anyone's going to read those things you do get your backlink, though I will tell you it's still worth it <laughs> well there's
1: a good point if, if you're really looking for the the SEO side of things and you really thought it through then yes that that can work we would say it's got to be do that but then I would say the perfect mix is about 10% talking about your product service and getting it out there if only for the SEO benefit and 90% finding neutral topics that you can talk around that will be vaguely of interest to your target audience who would then perceive you positively think of you as an expert in their overall space. And that's a mistake that I see, you know, happening quite a lot. I I often try and sort of make an analogy and say, like, it's like going on a date. And if you go on a date and all you talk about is yourself, you know, you stand there saying, you know, say, so, you know, I'm a six foot guy and I weigh 180 pounds and I can bench press this and all the, all the rest of it. You're not going to get very far with your target audience. They can probably see how tall you are what you can better express. they could probably guess it and the fact that you're talking about it probably makes them think it's a bit nervous
0: that's an incredible analogy that beyond <laughs> anything else helped me so much understand and get to where you were wow i <laughs> that was the one
1: it definitely doesn't work and if you're a guy or a girl then that's your dating strategy and you think it's working then boy you know i could help you change change your approach and we could take you to a different league of dating you know and and it's gotta be the same on the sales side. No one likes being pitched to. You know, when you think you walk in a shop gonna help you say no, I don't want your help. You do want their help, but you don't want their help because they're just gonna try and sell you something you don't want. And everyone's so resistant to being pitched to So anything you can do to sort of take away from that, focus on the other person, take an interest in them and all the rest of it will get you much, much further. Maybe I should be a date doctor.
0: I think you do a great job. I think my many, many failed relationships could have been fixed just with the advice that you gave (laughs) right there. (laughs) What can you manage for us? (laughs) (laughs) About 62 (laughs) pounds. Well, that's pretty good. Probably more than me. I put the extra one pound weights on the ends to make myself feel better about myself. (laughs) Last question for you, Roman. I think the hardest thing for both of us in SEO and PR. In a world surrounded by performance marketing with paid advertising and paid media, is driving results to justify and continue justifying an investment in the work that we do. How do you balance that need for immediate results with building a long term PR strategy?
1: Well, that, yeah, that's an interesting one. I mean, sometimes people do come to us and say, you know, we need instant PR. And, you know, we're pretty clear in saying it just doesn't work like that. You know, PR is, I'm sure even in your space it takes a while to build those campaigns and tweak it and you know, get it going well. But at the very least, I'm guessing if you throw in more money, you might not get the same returns on investment, but you would get a bigger output. And yeah, for PR, it's more kind of like planting the seed and watering it and watching it grow. It's not hunting; you can't know, get out there and hunt lots of big beasts immediately. And so we're often saying to people it's a long-term thing which I think most people get and understand certainly once we explain it. So it does give us a little bit more breathing space than perhaps you do. I think also PR fees, it depends on who you're working with So on. I think PR fees can be a little bit more affordable maybe than, than some of the SCI activity if you want to you know, have some paid. You really want to invest in it properly. It can be a little bit more affordable. And so people are looking less closely at that. They're saying, well, over here, we're spending 5x and, and on the PR side, we're spending one um, and so people might find yourself a little bit more scrutiny. And I think the fact that we set out on the terms and conditions of, we are never going to claim that, the, you know, your profits this by this much, or we've driven you this many leads and that's just simply how it is, makes that conversation a little bit easier. Generally speaking, the yeah, advice is, you know, you're looking at sort of six months to get up to speed and maybe longer and really a year or two to get the full value out of things. And before it's kind of rolling, you know, so if you're quoted a lot in the media, you'll find yourself getting invited to conferences to speak. We can put you forwards, but until people see you talking all the time, you know, it's a hard pitch.
0: So I guess the headline as to how you balance the long-term and short-term benefits is you don't.
1: <laughs> we're napping a little bit. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, we're just very forthright about that, that, you know, you've got to be in it uh, uh, for the long term. The only exceptions we would make is, you know, when sometimes people have a very, one-off need to communicate around something particularly around mergers and acquisitions or fundraising so then you know we can come in and say okay the objective is that you want this piece of news out and people reading about it in the next week Um, and so there is a very, but again there's a very kind of clear beginning middle and end because we've done a lot of these kind of news pieces over the years or certainly i have before i started the business i've got a pretty good feel for what you're going to get it's normally not most surprises yet so so everyone will come and say you want to be at gift and focus wire and you have to say well that might not happen given what you're telling me we should be maybe looking at some other media you know or you want to speak at conferences you're, well you're probably not going to be on stage gift and focus wire when they have in you know, the CEOs of Expedia and United Airlines and Airbnb and Uber and stuff on stage let's find the uh, conferences where they would have you on stage where you know you would survive the, the questioning well you know, some of these it looks easy, but it's it's not. You know, you need training, you need preparation, you need to be an expert. What you're talking about. Right, so, I take it you'll be at Skift this year in New York. Yes, I'll be there. Yeah, definitely be there. Uh, myself and my colleague Antonio are coming.
0: That'll be our third in-person crossover this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and will you? Be... Oh, yeah, yeah we, we have.
1: So we are focused on right? where else did we focus see each other? This year? We saw
0: each other in Berlin, right?
1: Yeah, ITB Berlin. And then yeah, yeah will yeah, you yeah, be we were at there?
0: Arrival in Vegas. I mean, in Florida in Orlando. I I don't know if I personally will be going,
1: but we are helping them with the PR for that event. Excellent. Yeah, that the plan yeah. right now. And we're doing one yeah, of our clients. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah whatever well, there we go. We've already got some shared clients. Yeah. Well we have a great relationship with, with the team at Rival. We'll be in Singapore for webin travel. Okay. We're doing the PR for that as well. Um that was just agreed only a few weeks ago. And we'll be at the Focus Right in Miami as well. We're
0: doing the PR Very for now. nice as a mandate from my fiance who I'm getting married to that week will not be at Focus Right in Miami. But I hope you have an incredible time there. <laughs> Thank you. I remember mean, you telling me about your wedding class. You yeah. well, have a fantastic wedding, that sounds like. It's a tough call but you made the right decision. It was a tough call, but I hope it pays off in the many, many years to come. He's obviously seen you bench pressing. Well, 60, <laughs> maybe I'll get up to 64 pounds sometime soon. I'm going to work out today. so.
1: As long as you don't oversell it or don't talk about it too much, it's all right. You can slip it in. Slip it in. Second date, slip it in. But not the <laughs> first date. Not good.
0: Not yeah. good. Thank you for the personal PR advice. Where can people reach out to you if they want to get in touch?
1: Yeah, they can find me in the local gym with the best press. Okay, yeah.
0: <laughs> you hit know, us up on our website, or you can email me rtownsend at belvirapartners
1: dot com. Yeah, you know LinkedIn. You know, I check the LinkedIn messages every hour, pretty much.
0: So hit me up. Well, that's our next project. We'll have to work on with you. <laughs> awesome. Well, I appreciate you hopping on. Anything else anybody listening to know?
1: I think that's it. Really, it's been you know great fun talking with you. It made me think about you know how we you know, collaborate with and probably need to collaborate more with the digital marketing and the FCO aspects of what our, um, our clients are doing. And I reason to think about how it's evolved over the last years. You know, you see these things, it's sort of incremental, you know, happens, happens slowly. But when I started in PR, which was 2002,
0: it's like, yeah, it's a different world. 100%. Well, thanks again. For more empowering ideas, visit Propellic.com. We're on a mission to create more diversity and thought for the planet and dedicated to helping brands both large and small increase their reach through intelligent travel, transportation, and tourism marketing. P-R-O-P-E-L-L-I-C dot com.